Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Most of us are familiar with the organic produce uh, section in the supermarket or in country uh, markets. And, um, yeah, we just uh, accept it. But my understanding is that the whole concept of uh, organic gardening was uh, started by a uh, former professor of agriculture at the University of Oxford, uh, Sir Albert Howard. And I remember, uh, and he wrote an interesting book called An Agricultural Testament. And his um, uh, thesis was essentially that um, particularly by mulching around plants and putting a lot of dead vegetable matter that um, encouraged the development of fungi and as uh, plants protected themselves against the the fungi they developed um, uh, or produced uh, compounds that were quite beneficial for our health. Um, and also, though, one of the other things that I remember reading that he said was that insects are the true professors of agriculture. So his whole idea was that the role of insects was to remove the uh, weaker plants from the system so that the uh, stronger plants uh, continued on and, and remove uh, 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 diseased plants and so forth. Very, very interesting concept. And then, of course, he said insects are controlled by the warfare that they conduct amongst themselves. And so the different, and so this uh, stops the the insects from sort of just getting out of control and, I guess, taking over and, and eating everything. And, of course, one of the roles or one of the uh, types of um, areas that this uh, fits into, of course, is um, spiders. And though perhaps spiders aren't truly uh, an insect, but um, they're a slightly different uh, class of uh, animals. But um, it's interesting that they uh, play a major role in regulating the um, level of um, I- insects. Now, of course, some people say, well, look, this is a, a major problem for the whole concept of creation. So were there venomous spiders before the, um, the fall? And um, because uh, we, we know that in the beginning God created everything, it was very good, um, and there was, uh, we don't believe that there was any suffering or death before the fall. But how could, um, uh, you know, this be if, what about, you know, bacteria? Um, obviously, if we, we have food, there are bacteria, bacteria die and um, at, at the present time. And then bacteria, if they just, all the bacteria kept, breeding and living, um, things would take over. And we know, again, that viruses help regulate and control the level of bacteria. And so there are all these things here. Um, But, uh, you know, when we think about uh, spiders injecting venom uh, from well-designed glands into their prey to kill and eat them, um, did these things um, happen? So it's an interesting problem from the... Uh, creationist view um, 
that um, but one of the particular things is that this whole concept death seems to be restricted to the death of truly sentient creatures, that is, creatures capable of suffering, um, such as vertebrates. So plants and bacteria, etc., um, are not uh, alive in the, in the sense that um, they they seem to be able to sense suffering. Although some people, you know, sort of uh, dispute this, but. For example, a uh, dragonfly is capable of calmly eating its own abdomen. So they don't. So insects and invertebrates such as spiders and this sort of thing don't seem to experience pain, and also they they don't um, sort of raise things as a family. They lay eggs. Those eggs hatch quite independently. So it's almost like they're little machines, little self-replicating machines. They have a function in maintaining the environment. And it seems that this um, the whole concept of, of death and dying is more related, as uh, I mentioned just a moment ago, to creatures that uh, sort of have a, a greater understanding of, um, of a mind, uh, can sense pain. And, uh, but we need to remember that the uh, spiders um, themselves are such amazingly complex creatures that they really are a major problem and a greater problem from the theory of evolution because of their um, design. And so my view is that the spiders, the insects, uh, bacteria, viruses, all played a role in maintaining a balance or an, an ecological system in nature that uh, provided food um, and uh, and a lovely environment for the higher animals that um, um, and our, and ourselves as as humans uh, etc. So um, you know that's that's you know a view on the um, on the situation. Of course, when we get to heaven, we can ask God how the system works, but. The overwhelming evidence is for creation, for an amazing designer. When we look at uh, and investigate the design attributes, and spiders are a classic example of amazing design. So much complexity in a in a spider in terms of a design in such a small creature, with amazing properties, amazing engineering properties, and. Um, I think that um, there's, again, spiders provide powerful evidence for a creator. We know through personal experience, through the biblical and through a whole lot of other evidence that it's a a loving creator. And so the existence of um, poisonous uh, spiders and so forth certainly raises an interesting question and questions but perhaps we can't answer. But I think if I look at it in terms of, as Sir Albert Howard said, there has to be a balance in nature. And these insects, viruses, uh, well, not so much viruses, bacteria replicate so rapidly they would soon take over the world. And yet they play essential functions. For example, the insects are essential in pollination of the flowers and plants and many seed plants, this sort of thing. 
And so they seem part of a system more as replicating sort of little robot, self-reproducing little robot creatures as opposed to creatures that can um, uh, have, have a mind and can enjoy pleasure and, um, and so forth. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, my view there. But um, what I was wanting to talk about t- today, of course, is the overwhelming evidence for creation and a major problem for evolution in terms of the design of spiders and bearing in mind as we look at all the attributes that spiders have that these attributes have had to have, according to the theory of evolution, arise by blind, random, chance mutations. And I think the evidence is so overwhelming. It's absolutely impossible for the DNA code by random changes to produce these creatures. So what is a spider? Spiders are arthropods or animals with jointed appendages. Uh, And they have two main body regions and four pairs of walking legs or eight legs. And they have silk glands in their abdomen. Um, and uh, most of them have uh, about eight eyes, um, and they have uh, fangs, and they usually have in their tail end six spinnerets, uh, structures on their abdomen from which they extrude the this particular uh, substance that we call silk. Um, it's not the same as silkworm silk, but it's called a silk in that it's a, a strand of um, a material that is used to make their webs. And, of course, they use uh, these strands to make their webs, their egg sacs, um, and uh, also material uh, or uh, to wrap their prey. Um, now, the design of the spinnerets is, is quite detailed, and uh, each spinneret has several tiny little spigots from which the silk um, is stored in the silk glands in a liquid form. Um, and, and it comes out these little uh, spigots. So the the silk is is pre-stored liquid and spins out. Now when it's drawn out from the spinneret, um, and this is uh, done by using one of its hind legs, it actually turns into a solid. But this is not the result of drying. Instead, the liquid actually uh, solidifies because. The tension of drawing out actually aligns the protein molecules into a parallel arrangement in which they bond together. So in other words, in the liquid, they're stored in sort of all the the molecules are all sort of um, aligned all differently, stored sort of mixed up. But this drawing out, because proteins are so long, draws them out in parallel and then they bond in parallel. So it's an amazing set of chemical reactions that occur. And for this, these compounds um, to have arisen by chance in the whole mechanism uh, to produce the, the silk is just so complex and just absolutely perfect that it could not arise by blind, random mutations. Now, the different kinds of um, silk are highly complex protein molecules. So there's, um, I was reading... Um, there's quite an interesting article on this actually that was um, published in um, the journal Creation, which is put out by uh, uh, creation.com um, in uh, uh, 2023. 
Um, it's uh, volume 45, number four, and you can read about from pages 27 on. Um, there's a, one species of spider, the Nephilia, that has a molecular weight um, of uh, the, the, um, the, the silk has a molecular weight of um, about 40,000. It's an amazing uh, uh, molecules that uh, uh, produce these protein molecules to synthesize. And we've got to remember that to produce these molecules, you need quite complex chemical reactions to synthesize these particular molecules. Um, a very involved chemistry that could not arise by chance. And this is where I think when biologists and zoologists um, uh, talk about the, you know, the theory of evolution and that, my personal view is they just don't understand the complexity of the chemistry that's involved and the fact that this complex chemistry has to be written up in a coded instructions um, and, there's, and they have to believe that random blind changes to instructions can produce these amazing molecules that then work together. But not only do you have the chemicals that make up, for example, the silk, you've got um, the structures, the physical structures that, that hold the silk, that allow it to then be pushed out, that allow, and then the leg mechanism to draw it out, all this sort of thing. Now, of course, when we look at uh, some of these, um, the spider silk, it's extremely thin. Um, some have a, a diameter less than a thousandth of a millimetre, and yet uh, this material is uh, twice as elastic as nylon and uh, has a tensile strength, strength, that is, you know, how strong you have to pull it to break, um, that exceeds, in some cases, that of steel. And um, it can um, uh, respond to a whole lot of different stresses. It's truly an amazing substance. Um, now, the other thing is, of course, that some spiders can have as many as seven different types of silk glands, um, which open through particular kinds of, of spinets. Um, uh, such as, you know, the female garden orb-weaving spiders uh, produce seven different types of silk. So when we think of this again, we're looking at seven different types of molecular structures when we talk about this. And so we're looking at seven different types of chemical reactions to produce these types of silk, again, which all have to be... Um, encoded for in the instructions, in which is the DNA code. It's interesting that the spinnerets as well can move in several different ways, uh, lifting, lowering, twisting, um, and so they can synchronise uh, the, the spinning. Um, it's interesting that environmental clues can affect the behaviours and reflexes of spiders. Um, and it seems that the um, the the way it weaves, it's where the uh, these structures are directed by um, environmental clues, uh, not by the the spider's mind. 
And so there's evidence that the particular complex instinctive reflex behaviours involved in spinning the webs are again programmed into their DNA. It's fascinating that um, the spiders all weave the same structure web. And so again, this is more evidence that it's encoded in their, in their DNA uh, because, you know, the, the baby spiders aren't trained by their, their parents. You know, they hatch out of the eggs and race off and, and yet all weaving spiders, we're, most of us are probably familiar with seeing these in the garden, uh, produce these beautiful circular webs which are, are produced in a particular pattern by the, by the spiders. But again, the people that, that study this, they, they talk about the evolution of the, the web and this sort of thing. But one of the fascinating things is, of course, that we don't see you know, new types of body parts um, evolving in spiders. And I'm very pleased that they don't evolve any bigger. I mean, just imagine a spider the size of an elephant. It would be terrifying. Um, and so um, it's interesting that they're they're, they're constrained in this way. It's interesting that the variety of uh, spiders, there's about 3,000 uh, species of orb weaver spider according to uh, uh, this article I was reading. And uh, they fall into actually two uh, major groups. And this is actually a barrier to the idea that one evolved from the other or both from ancestral um, some ancestral uh, group of orb weavers um, because um, these two groups, um, their skill leads to this exact web design must have just happened to have evolved twice through blind chance mutations. Um, and so um, one of the world-leading spider experts who... Um, uh, published the book The Biology of Spiders, which is uh, published by Oxford University Press um, back in 2011, um, says it's rather hard to imagine how such a complex structure could have come about, talking about the spider's web, and yet it's even more difficult to explain how an orb weaver web could develop in two different groups of spiders. So um, this is just you know one of the examples that uh, of course evolutionists are, are recognising. But uh, again, when we look at the codes, it, the codes, the to the instructions to make these webs are so complex. Um, overall, there's about forty-eight thousand different species of spiders that um, uh, display an enormous variety of webs. There's a, another book just devoted to them that's uh, been published um, in 2020 uh, by the University of Chicago Press. It's by W. Uh, Eberhard, and it's called Spiderwebs, Behaviour, Function and Evolution. Of course, they're trying to explain it. Uh, but um, there's 816 pages of this book um, and it's interesting, the range of spiders, like your jumping spiders, this is the largest uh, spider family called uh, Salticidae and comprised over 6,000 species of jumping spider. And uh, their jumps are, are quite accurate, uh, aided by excellent vision. And um, 
Some Harvard researchers have recently started to develop microsensors for robots by copying the ingenious way a jumping spider's eyes deliberately use outer focus to precisely judge their um, leaps. You know, it, it, it's fascinating. And again, what we see is that scientists are, are, are going and looking at the design features that are there, teams of scientists, and working on trying to apply this to robots. And yet we have to believe that blind random mutations to a set of instructions could produce these eyes that all work. Um, uh, there's also cartwheeling spiders. Uh, these um, spiders tend to live on dunes and they can flip their bodies sideways and cartwheel down sand dunes. And um, apparently they use this behaviour to escape predatory wasp. Um, and uh, they can uh, uh, travel at uh, more than a metre per second spinning at 20 revolutions per second. But again, this escaping the predatory Ross highlights this um, warfare between the insects that keeps them, and spiders and stuff, that keep the, um, the, this balance, ecological balance. And another fascinating um, aspect, um, there's a, a desert spider that um, they go on long nighttime travels looking for females, and yet they can return to their same burrows by a straight path. And so they can make a um, um, an 800-metre round trip and still find their home burrow in the, um, in the dark. Um, and again, that was something... Uh, read about in the biology in that book I mentioned earlier the biology spiders published by Oxford University Press most spiders are solitary of course however about 20 species gather in in colonies um, and uh, there's one particular species um, uh, called Enelosimus um, eximus that live peacefully in one web that can have uh, a volume of a thousand cubic meters, I find that uh, hard to imagine, um, and so um, it'd be worth reading up a little bit more again. Um, the I wouldn't want to get it, <laughs> find myself in uh, that particular web. Almost all spiders have venom glands, um, but only about two hundred. Uh, uh, dangerously uh, poisonous to humans. And, of course, uh, here in Australia we've got the funnel-web spider, which is a very deadly uh, spider. Um, uh, people have died from funnel-web uh, bites, and we get them uh, at our place um, uh, at certain times of the year, maybe after a very heavy weather. We find that some of them can squeeze in under the door and... Uh, we find them wandering around in our, our laundry. Uh, occasionally they've even made their way into our living room and they, they look a scary spider. They're sort of shiny black and big and um, I certainly don't um, like them. But it, it's quite interesting that they're not venomous to cats and dogs but they're venomous to, to us. So 
um, which is um, which is interesting. Uh, so there's amazing um, different aspects of um, uh, spider uh, and spider venom. But it's interesting. Spider evolution has is is recognised as being a major problem. So, according to the book *The Biology of Spiders*, uh, so published by Oxford University Press back in 2011, the author says, "I must admit, however, that our real knowledge of the evolutionary history of spiders is quite scanty, and hence to present any reliable pedigree is quite impossible." of fossil spiders are from the tertiary period and thus relatively young. They resemble um, living families so closely that they provide hardly any clues as to how they supposedly evolved. Well, he used a different word, phylogeny, but I've just changed that to how they supposedly evolved. And so um, he writes that on page 327. Um, In another place, uh, he continues, there should be only one evolutionary history that is correct. However, to reconstruct the correct evolutionary pathway is quite difficult. Usually only one probable hypothesis can be formulated and even those have to be constantly adjusted to new observations and and insights so come to light. Um, and so that's uh, on page 334. And then a little bit further on, on page 335, he concludes um, the evolutionary diagrams on uh, tarantula and funnel web classification came out quite different when molecular analyses of the uh, RNA, uh, RNA genes had been used in comparison to uh, those that are based on structural characters and it's difficult to say which one is closer to the truth. So what they're saying there is when we look at the physical structures, we get they get one evolutionary pathway. When they look at the RNA genes, they get a totally different pathway. And, of course, if evolution had really occurred, we would have expected to see the same pattern indicated on both molecular and structural comparisons. So, of course... So we can see the complexity of spiders, these other major problems with trying to uh, sort out their evolution, again, point to the biblical creation account being the real explanation for spiders. And I think it's it's so important that we recognise that we have evidence for a loving creator God and it behoves us, each one, to get to know that God. The Bible clearly talks about how God wants to have a relationship with us. The creator God wants to have a relationship with us. He came to earth and lived as Jesus Christ uh, to show us uh, the way. And um, this is so important. And again, the promise is that we won't die eternally. The promise is that if we choose to be with God, to get to know him, when after we've died, we will be raised again uh, to live with him. And that's why it's so important that we um, learn 
about God and seek to have that relationship with him. And that's one of the purposes of these programs. So remember, if you want to um, re-listen to these talks, just Google 3abinaustralia.org.au, click on the radio button and look for Faith and Science and click on the Listen button. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 